0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello, this is Eric Braden. You're listening to TV Confidential.
1: With Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth, how are you tonight? What have you been doing? Collecting antiques again? How much did that lamp cost? Oh, pretty expensive, huh? You can shush all you want, but uh, how are you going to keep Alvin from asking the same question? Keep his mind on other subjects?
0: Well, he's coming in the
2: front door right now. Better say hello. Uh, Hi, honey. I'm going to show you one of my favorite photos of her. Oh, Oh. Oh, Oh, yeah. Ray Richmond, the author of Betty White, 100 100 Remarkable Moments in an Extraordinary Life, will join us. Later on the program, as will Golden Girls historian Jim Colucci, Mary Tyler Moore Show historian Jennifer Armstrong, our friend Jeffrey Mark, who interviewed Betty White for a documentary he produced on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, Steve Beverly, who interviewed Betty White about a dozen times throughout his career, both as a TV journalist and as one of the people behind the Game Show Congress. We'll also hear from other voices in the course of our program length Tribute to Betty White. Betty White passed away Friday, December 31st at the age of 99. Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us via Zoom, and we are glad you are with us as we pay tribute to Betty as well. As we pick up the conversation with Tony and Donna, I am showing them some of the pictures of Betty White in her youth, which are among the many photographs included in Ray Richmond's book, Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments in an Extraordinary Life.
1: That kind of reminds me. She hosted the uh, Rose Parade forever and ever and ever. Also, I see her with pictures of the flowers.
0: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. She did the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade with Lauren Green. With Lauren Green. And what
2: what decade? uh, Sixties and seventies.
1: Yes, which I'm sure was on NBC. And Lauren Green at that time, he was Ben Cartwright.
0: Wow, look at that. Yeah.
1: And I believe that she uh, she stopped doing it when she started doing the Mary Tyler Moore show.
2: That's about right. That, that's about right because she, uh, yeah. that, that would have been around, around the mid-70s. But for many years, she hosted with either Lorne Green or whoever else was the big NBC star at the time. She would host both the Rose Bowl parade coverage and the Thanksgiving Day parade coverage. And again, this goes back to what she did very, very early in her career. It's three hours of unscripted commentary. Okay, they may, the producer may hand her a piece of copy to riff on, but basically it's Betty improvising on on live television and making it seem like she's been doing it her entire life, which, of course, she did. (laughs) She did.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think people realized how valuable an individual was that could have that could talk constantly with minimal material to work with. Yeah, that is an incredible skill that people have that they're able to take a couple of minutes of material and get two hours out of it.
0: And um, for the audience not to realize that there are only three minutes of material there, and
1: you're engaged. And just the nonstop banter, and also uh, in the broadcasting world, as we all know. Uh, Your enemy is dead air. That's the enemy that you are constantly fighting. And you're doing it, and it looks like you're having a good time. Uh, Hopefully you are having a good time doing it as well, and that you're enjoying that ride. That is a special skill, and there are a lot of talented people that can't master that because it's just not in their wheelhouse. And, and Betty White does it so beautifully. And then, you know, later on, we get to see what this woman does with the script. Wow.
2: And not, and, and not only what she can do with the script, but her versatility with what she can do with the script. Because depending on what demographic you are in, in terms of her character roles on television, you will either think, I mean, I tend to think of her as Sue Ann. Yes. Yeah. Others will think of her immediately as Rose on The Golden Girls. Some of our younger viewers will probably think of her as I forget the name of the character she okay. put on on Hot in Cleveland. Thank you. Cleveland. So, so, you know, the fact that you've got um you've got three iconic characters that you draw viewers from, you draw followers from. That's amazing in and of itself.
1: I think what distinguishes Rose, even though I agree with you, I, I'd like to see more Suan because I think Rose is getting more play than Suan And yeah. I think, you know, Suan was wonderful. But I think uh, when we're talking about Rose, there's a generation of. They were not born when Golden Girls was new. Yeah, their exposure to Golden Girls is TV land and you know things that showed later. And I and- think
2: I think to a degree we can thank Sex and the City for that because uh, Sex and the City was one of the five hottest shows throughout the 2000s. That whole decade, uh, 1998 through the early 2000s, and a buddy show with four strong female, well-defined characters. And as it happens, because of Lifetime and the wonders of cable television, uh, the Golden Girls were, were, were airing five days a week, in some cases seven days a week. And so you have a lot of college-age viewers who are into Sex in the City discovering the Golden Girls for the first time and saying, this is the same sort of dynamic we're seeing on Sex and the City, it only, well, only it was done twenty years earlier, and, and 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 with older women, and that's, and you and we're still seeing that the Golden Girls is still reaching new viewers because of that. You guys probably know this story, uh, and this goes back to Betty's versatility. Um, she was originally cast as Blanche on yes. the Golden Girls because network executives thinking the way they think, when you bring a presence back, you tend to cast them in a variation of the role for which they were first known. So let's cast Betty White as a variation of Sue Ann Niven's. And Rue McClanahan, who played B. Arthur's sidekick on Maude, was Vivian, who was sort of her naive, a close friend of Maude, but more or less the butt of Maude's jokes. And as the story goes, and when Jim Colucci joins us later in the hour, he will elaborate on this. Before they started shooting the pilot, both Betty and Rue met with Jay Sandrich, whom both of them had worked with before. Jay Sandrich, the great television director. And I believe it was Jay Sandrich who said, let's try something. Betty, why don't you read Rose's part? And Rue, why don't you read... Blanche's part and let's see how that goes and what Jay didn't realize is that Rue really wanted to read Blanche but Betty had already been cast as Blanche and as it happened both Rue and Betty realized these are the characters we really want to play because it gives us a chance to grow as actors and didn't
0: Betty say I've already you know in regards to uh Blanche I've already done that
2: yeah and, and Rue pretty much said the same thing with regard to Rose. And so it was just, it was a serendipitous moment that really, and if I remember correctly, B was the last Golden Girl cast. And when she heard that Rue McClanahan was attached, she immediately assumed that Rue would be Rose. And B Arthur reportedly said, I don't want to do a show with me picking on Rue again. We did that 20 years ago. And B's agent said, Oh, no, 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 no. Rue's going to be Blanche. Betty's going to be Rose. And B. Arthur reportedly said, Oh, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll do this. <laughs>
1: no, I mean, just the dynamic between uh, B. Arthur and Betty White the zingers flying were were so perfect because rose would say can i ask a stupid question and you'd hear better than anybody (laughs) i know (laughs) i mean it was just such you know that, that the chemistry i mean all four of them together but then just the pairing i mean estelle getty with anybody yeah was whoever she was i mean was she could do no wrong but I'd say uh, B. Arthur with both Betty White and with you know separately and collectively, I mean it was just always great. It was just really really funny the way that you had these women. And I remember when that show was new, I was uh, working somewhere and I had both uh, younger and older coworkers. And I remember this one young guy was saying, "I don't know, just old women talking about sex all the time." Why? Do-? And then the older coworker you know just laid this guy out and just said. No, they are talking about things that real people, that age group are talking about. And they're having those conversations and we're finally getting to see these conversations on television.
0: Because I mean, women of a certain age were absent from television for the most part. And to have them taking over a half hour, who
1: wants to watch that? A lot of people, not just women. We were already used to grandpa talking about stuff like that. And it was accepted you know, on a sitcom especially. Oh, Grandpa. Oh, that's just being <laughs> Grandpa. But the idea of Grandma talking about that, those topics, or Grandma even having an opinion, Grandma doing things other than baking cookies, you know, that was not seen yet.
0: Okay, I know we're talking about uh, Betty as Rose, but Betty as Sue Ann. Oh, my God. I mean, one of my favorite episodes, her episodes on the Mary Tyler War show was when she has an affair with Lars, Phyllis's husband, played by Cloris Leachman. And when Cloris Leachman, uh, Phyllis, confronts her.
1: On the set. Oh. But, you know, also you have... Two
0: comedic powerhouses.
1: You had two that were kind of like guest stars. They weren't always... And to have two guest stars like that in the same episode and pretty much the whole second act of that, it's them sitting down there. And yeah, because one of them when they're in the scene they take over the scene if you're on the happy homemaker set forget it that is betty's set when betty enters the newsroom she takes control of that scene if betty enters mary's house she's in control of that house the episode where georgette and ted get married oh once she entered that was it she was running the show and so it did, came in complete with a veil. Yeah, I mean coming <laughs> in, but even and that's that was also an early TV appearance of John Ritter as the minister.
2: Yes, and you in know, tennis shorts. In tennis shorts, yeah. <laughs> ten, he's going to
0: play tennis, and well, instead he's
2: he has
1: the racket in
2: his
1: hand. Yes. <laughs> okay, the bride on my forehand. And the on my... <laughs> but you know, it's like Mary's job was to go find the minister. And then she comes back with a minister. Once the minister shows up, Suzanne, Suzanne is even telling a minister how to do his job. But it was his first wedding. And her response was, well, I guess it's appropriate that you're wearing white. <laughs> <laughs> but she, yeah, I'm sorry she didn't attend Rhoda's wedding. Uh, but uh, I was just thinking that. Yeah, because that was one of the episodes that we saw was the episode, the last Mary Tyler Moore episode before Rhoda's wedding. And Suzanne is very prominent in that episode. It is the one with Linda Kelsey, I think, yeah. uh, because Su- Su- Suzanne's there, and the last thing when they're leaving the newsroom, because Murray and uh, and and Lou are taking Mary to the airport, so they're wearing the same thing that they're wearing in the Rhoda Mary- episode, but Su- Su- the last thing Suzanne says, to, you know, please, you know, uh, I hope Rhoda has a really nice wedding, please give her my best and all that, and that's the, you know, the end of it, because that would have been hysterical, but... Yeah, Cloris Leechman, you look at her in Rhoda's wedding, she takes over every scene that she's in. So to have these two powerhouses together in one scene was just amazing.
2: And as I recall, Sue Ann was originally intended just as a one shot character. Uh she was I not in, she is she was not intended as as a recurring character, but it was again this is one of those serendipitous things a melding, and you guys understand this, a melding of actor with character. And between that and it was filmed in a live audience, and, you know, James Brooks and Ed Weinberger and Alan Burns, they realized, okay, we got something here. Let's bring her back, and the rest is history.
0: Happy Homemaker. She was anything, I mean, she was the anti- 1950s, 1960s housewife.
2: Yeah, I've heard some people call her the forerunner of Martha Stewart in a way she was parodying what she had done, her early television career. Yes.
1: Yes. I mean, that's, I think, what made her so perfect in that role because she knew, she knew that role. I mean, she just added a different character to it, but you, you see it when she's on that happy homemaker set also. She knows her way around that. She knows. And that's why they said she needed very little direction. She knew who Suzanne was and how to.
2: And um, you guys probably saw this, but uh, CBS this morning, they did a little tribute to her the Sunday after she passed. And I believe one of the people they talked to was James Brooks. And he pointed to a little moment which was unscripted, but it goes. It speaks to... You did not need to direct Betty when she was playing Sue Ann Nivens. Er, early in the climactic dialogue between her and Cloris Leachman in the Lars Affair episode, Phyllis confronts Sue Ann on the set while Sue Ann is preparing a souffle for yes. her show, a chocolate souffle. And about... A couple of minutes into the dialogue, Sue Ann says, excuse me, I have to take the souffle out of the oven. And so she's chewing gum and talking at the same time. And she, you know, she gets the souffle out, and she closes the oven door with her leg. She just gives it a little.
1: Yeah, with her knee, she just kind of.
2: It was unscripted, but anyone who is, who's in the kitchen taking something out, it's a very relatable, natural thing. And it got to laugh. And and again, it just speaks to she knew exactly what to do as that character in that setting.
1: Yeah, but it was so seamless the way that she just slammed that thing. Yeah,
0: no, it's being, it's embodying the character, being the character, and not thinking about it. It's just natural.
2: Well, we're having a naturally good time. remembering Betty White, the life, life and legacy of television institution Betty White. Betty White passed away. your cat whose name escapes me okay.
0: the, the aria spencer yes
2: she had been hanging out with us on zoom but she left because i guess there's food to be had or uh, it's nap time it is nap time well you know and, and
1: she, we she has a little igloo off camera and she goes and takes her nap so okay she's...
2: all right well we we helped put her to sleep so that's good we we served an, <laughs> we, yeah, we she, served an gonna, important person she, but all, all this is to m- mention another show was recently rediscovered in the past year. It was a show she did in 1971 that she and Alan Ludden produced called The Pet Set. And it was a syndicated talk show where she would invite friends and people like Shirley Jones and uh, Barbara Eden and Agnes Moorhead and Mary Tyler Moore and Burt Reynolds and Rod Serling. And they would bring their pet dogs or cats, or their are animal friends. And there was a regular segment with uh, Africa USA where Betty would bring wild animals onto the set and she would do location footage. It was the perfect blend of her two great passions in life, which was unscripted television and animals.
1: Our friend Robert Crane yep. posted a photo of his dad, Bob Crane, Uh, On that show. His dad brought uh, the family dog, I guess. And uh, so there is a shot of uh, yeah, Bob Crane with Betty White on that show.
2: I'll have to look for that. I happen to have a complete set of the pet set. I will definitely look for that. And she has said that of all the things she did, it's the one show that is clearly closest to her heart because it was a forum where she can talk about and express her love for animals.
0: And what is the Facebook challenge For her 100th birthday.
2: Oh, tell me about that.
0: It is people.
1: To donate uh, $5 to an animal charity in her name.
0: On her birthday, which I believe is January 17th.
1: That is correct.
0: And uh, so any animal charity, donation, shelter, rescue. Which I think is a beautiful way to honor her memory.
2: And one such, not 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 to be biased or anyway, but one such charity that comes to mind is Actors and Others for Animals here in Los yes. Angeles, which you could donate if you if you so desire from wherever you live. We have a comment from Joanne Worley that the three of us talked to a few years back. Joanne Worley said, "Like everyone else, I was sad to hear." about the passing of Betty White. She served on Actors and Others for Animals, the Board of Directors of Actors and Others for Animals for many, many years, would always be there to help us whenever we needed to raise money for spay and neutering. In fact, in 2005, Betty allowed us to roast her with a star-studded DS filled with her show business friends she will be missed by all who love the laugh with her. This is Joanne Worley saying a few words about her friend Betty White. Joanne's comment, uh, courtesy of her friend Harlan Bull. And uh, we can easily spend an hour just talking about her love with animals and her fearlessness with animals.
1: She did appearances with exotic animals and domestic animals when she would be on. She was not afraid of. I guess it's it's entertaining, especially like when we would watch the uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And Joan Embry would come on with something, and you're wondering what's going to (laughs) happen. And you could tell there were a few animals that Johnny was a little skittish with, as I think most people would be, you know, whether it had feathers or scales. But Betty White always seemed to be very fearless no matter what the animal was.
2: I'm going to show you a photo. Can you see it? Is she kissing uh,
1: a
0: camel? Grizzly bear. Oh, good. Oh,
2: yeah. This is one of the photos in. Betty White, 100 Remarkable Moments in an Extraordinary Life by Ray Richmond, who we will hear from later on in our program. The last book, the last biography of Betty White that was published before she passed away. This is a photo. It was taken at the Hollywood Animals Ranch in Santa Clarita, I think, uh, within the last five years. She is feeding a marshmallow to a grizzly bear. And... Betty knows this. If you feed it, if you hold the marshmallow in your mouth and let the grizzly bear come up to you to eat the marshmallow, it is almost like you're kissing the the grizzly bear. And it's just a wonderful photo. And the fact that she's 95 years old and showing absolutely no fear, it's like she had a sixth sense with animals and animals had a sixth sense about her. They just sensed her energy and sensed her love. And there's all sorts of archival footage of her out in the wild in recent years. It's just awesome.
1: There was a memory that popped into my head about her last night. She appeared on St. Elsewhere. And there was, she was like a... A naval attache? She was a doctor, a friend of Dr. Westfall's, but she was, uh, I guess, stationed in Bethesda. And the First Lady was traveling through Boston and St. Alicia's was like strategically close to where she was appearing. So if anything had happened, she would be going to St. the first lady would be going to St. Alegia. So she yeah, had she was to... a
0: naval officer after because yeah. I, I I remember the blue uniform. Yeah, she had yeah. the
1: uniform. But the other plot line was there was a character in the psych ward named John Doe who had no memory of it of who his real identity was. And he was watching the Mary Tyler Moore show. And he comes to the conclusion that he's Mary Richards. <laughs> uh, Jack Riley plays uh, Mr. Carlin, you know, from the Bob Newhart show. Yes, yeah. also in the cycle. Psych- and the like, psych- you know, the psychiatrist at the time is saying, uh, "Just indulge him. We might be getting a break." And so he assumes that Mr. Carlin is Rhoda. And then I think Norman Lloyd's character was Lou Grant. <laughs> and and it's going over there, and the whole thing, you know, so you had something that was a little bit more tense with the hospital may needing to step in if something happens with the first lady. And then you have this very funny story about a guy, an amnesiac, who thinks he's Mary Richards. And then at one point, the two things kind of collide where he bumps into Betty White's character and he goes, so what I am, the happy homemaker? <laughs> and it, yeah, and it was just, uh, you know. And Betty's character just, oh, and walks, walks yeah, through it, yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean it was just such a, a perfect little and and the thing i remember watching that and i was not making the connection because you had one story that was very straight and and then betty white is you know not playing for laughs in this episode uh, you know she's a much more serious character but then you had something that was going to the farcical extreme which you know saying elsewhere was also very good at and so to have the two the two plot lines intersect that way was very satisfying and very surprising because I was I, that was totally unexpected. Uh, but St Elsewhere was always very good with that.
2: Yeah, there there are a lot of references to other MTM shows on St Elsewhere.
1: One of the orderlies, uh, Morris, was uh, the basketball star on The White Shadow. That's right. And he An- he was a character. Another
2: yeah. MTM show. Well, we're having a naturally good time remembering Betty White, the life life and legacy of television institution Betty White. Betty White passed away. Friday, December 31st at the age of 99. Tony and Donna will be back with some final thoughts on the life and legacy of Betty White at the end of our second hour. We'll be happy stay tuned for that. In the meantime, take a quick time out. Then Steve Beverly will join us take a look at Betty White's impact on the world of TV game shows when we continue our tribute to Betty White here on TV Confidential. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast you can enjoy. This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.